Welcome to the Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Daniel Willett. So good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Awaken Life Church. Um, Joy is on her way to Redding, California to help Tia get settled in BSSM. So she's gone for a week. Uh, so pray for me on lots of levels. I have four boys. It's me and four boys and two, two little boys. And so it's going to be interesting. It's already been interesting. I've been alone for one day. And it, and you, <laughs> it feels like a lifetime. And you start to realize how much uh, you appreciate your spouse when they're not there. I'm like, wow, she does a lot of things that I I'm not, didn't see before. So... This is a good thing for me. <laughs> she's probably love. If she's watching right now, she's like, "Thank you, Jesus." This is like answered prayer. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> so yeah, definitely makes me appreciate my wife so much. And it was it was definitely a hard moment yesterday. There was some tears, and it really hit me. It's funny. It's been uh, it hit Joy like two months ago, and she just like randomly, she'd be crying and be like, "What's wrong?" She's like, "Tia's leaving." And, uh, but I, it really didn't hit me until Friday and, uh, it just started to hit me. I started to have all the memories of her growing up and, and, uh, whew, so it finally just hit me. <laughs> and so, but yeah, it was good. Um, it was a good send off and we know that this is like a launching. And, and so I, I hold on to that. It's like, it's, you know, we're going to miss her and it's hard for her not to be with us, but we know that we're launching her into this next season. So Joy will be back next Sunday. She's coming back on Saturday. So let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just thank you so much that you're so good. We thank you for your presence and your spirit of love this morning. We just thank you for that spirit of adoption that's here this morning. We thank you that in your presence, we'll never feel orphaned, but we, do, we feel that spirit of sonship that you've added to us. And we feel that love that you have for us. And God, I just pray today that every shame is just breaking off of people's life. God, we know that shame is alive from the enemy. And we know that you have given us the spirit of sonship. And we just pray that we're, we're experiencing your sonship and we're going deeper into sonship today and into that spirit of adoption. We just pray right now. Just do this. We do this sometimes. Put your hand on your heart. Just say, Holy Spirit, whatever you have for me today, let me have it. Amen. Amen. That's a good prayer. You can say that anytime. So I want to continue uh, the word that I spoke last week. Last week, uh, I, I talked to you about heavenly perspective. So this is going to be heavenly perspective part two. And the message, uh, this series of message, it started uh, two weeks ago today when I was in the prayer room and I saw this picture of all these ladders. It was everybody in the sanctuary was standing and I saw these picture, uh, or this picture of all these ladders coming down into the sanctuary and it was touching on, uh, resting on people's heads and in some people that was going into their heads. And I just believe that it represents a few things. It represents, it, it, it represents mind renewal. 
It represents divine ideas coming from heaven. I believe this, this is definitely a season shift right now. We know like in the natural, it's a season shift. You know, it's school is starting and fall is coming. But in the spiritual realm, it's also a, a season shift. I'm telling you right now, there's, there's things shifting. And I have an excitement about it. I don't know what's coming, but I'm excited for whatever it is. There's something that God is doing. And God is, is wanting us to um, change our thinking. And it's, it's so important in this next season to get his perspective. Because if we don't, we can miss what he's doing. So we want to shift our perspective and, and, and understand and see what he's doing. I love how Vince led the prayer this morning. Like just started by, hey, just listen for a second. Ask the Holy Spirit, what, is, what does he think about Afghanistan? And so this is a new season. And so I, I believe that, that that ladder is touching people's head. It represents mind renewal, divine ideas. Some of you are going to have amazing divine ideas in this next season. It might be for a business. It might be just uh, for something for our, our city, for your family. But I, I believe divine ideas are coming. But I think overall, it represents the ability to think and process with kingdom perspective. So, so, so important, especially going into this next season. And the amazing thing is that when we start to change our thinking and we get into kingdom perspective, it, it takes us into a new level with Christ. The Bible says we go from glory to glory to glory to glory. And so, you know, when we go into that new level, it's like we just shifted our thinking and that stays with us. So I believe God is taking us deeper as a church. I believe he's taking us uh, deeper as individual families. And he's taking us deeper as people into his perspective. I, I said it last week. God wants you to think like he does. You want to know what God is looking for in, 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 in people and leaders? He's looking for people who think like him. He's looking for people who think like him. Um, even when we, we talk about, you know, finances, like, God is looking for people who think like him to steward finances. So he's not going to dump a bunch of money on us when we have this poverty thinking and we don't know what to do with it. But when, when we have his thoughts about money and when he, we have his thoughts, his perspective, he'll pour out money on you because he knows this is someone who can steward what I give to them. So I believe this is a rhema word for our church that God is moving us deeper into his perspective in this next season. We can't afford to have thoughts in our mind that are not his thoughts for us. Did I say that right? We can't afford to have thoughts in our mind that are not the thoughts that he's thinking about us. I can't afford to have thoughts in my mind that are not his thoughts for you. I can't afford to have thoughts in my mind that are not his thoughts about my marriage, about my children. I need his perspective for all those areas for the issue that you're facing. You can't afford to not know what God's thinking about that issue. We can't afford, again, what Vince did today. We can't afford to think about Afghanistan in a way that God is not thinking about it. We need to align our thinking with him so we can declare the kingdom of heaven is coming into this situation. Amen. We need to have his thoughts for every situation. So having the mind of Christ, the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. Having the mind of Christ means taking on Christ's thoughts for ourselves, for our situation, and for the world around us. 
We talked about Jacob's ladder last week and what it represented and how I believe it ties in with that picture I saw of the ladders coming down in the sanctuary. Jacob lays on this rock to sleep, which represents Jesus as a rock. It represents resting on the rock of Jesus. How I many know we're not trying to do anything in our own strength? But we rest on the rock of Jesus. And when Jacob rests on the rock, he has this dream of an open heaven. And this, in this dream, he sees a ladder coming from heaven and the ladder is touching earth. And it represents the kingdom realm, the kingdom reality coming into the earth. And it's what Jesus told us to pray. He said, I want you to pray like this. Pray, your God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. It's, it's the, he wants us to pray in the way of that vision, what Jacob actually saw in that dream. God, I want to pray that your kingdom of heaven is coming into the earth. And then he says to Nathaniel, Jesus says to Nathaniel, he says, I am the ladder. He says, Nathaniel, you're going to see the heavens opened up. You're going to see the kingdom of heaven coming, angels ascending and descending on me. So he interprets the vision that Jacob has and says, I'm the ladder. And so Jesus is our access. He's the reason that we have the mind of Christ. He's the reason that we can declare the kingdom of heaven is coming into our finances, into the situation in Afghanistan, into in Afghanistan, that's a weird way I said that, into, <laughs> into, uh, into our situations, into our marriage. He's the reason because we have Jesus. He is our connection from he to heaven. So Jesus is the ladder that bridges the two realities of heaven and earth. And heaven is a superior reality. Heaven is a superior reality to this reality. I, I've, I used to like be fascinated with stories of people that had died and had a, like a heaven encounter. And there's some stories of people that have died and had a hell encounter. And, um, but the people that have had heaven encounters, um, a lot of them say a lot of the same things. And one of the things you hear commonly is they're like, wow, I felt I was home. I felt like for the first time, like, oh, I'm finally home. Like heaven is the home, is our home. Heaven is a superior reality than this reality. And so we can get stuck in this earthly way of thinking, this fleshly way of relating. And God's calling us to think in a heavenly respect. And when we have our mind, our thinking in the heavenly realm, we can bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. That's why Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. This doesn't come naturally. We have to train our minds to think this way. That's why it says, set your mind on things above. It doesn't happen automatically. It's like, I need to, if I'm going to set something, I'm going to take it and I'm going to set it. It's something that I'm doing to be intentional about thinking about the reality of heaven and that kingdom realm. Set your mind on the things of heaven and not on things on the earth. Romans 8, 6 says this. I love how, it's, how it reads in the NIV and, and in the Passion. I'm going to read both. And the NIV, Romans 8, 6 says this. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So when your mind is, is governed by the flesh, by what we experience, by this, it's death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Here's how it says it in the Passion. For the sense and reason of the flesh is death, but the mindset controlled by the spirit finds life and peace. So when we're living out of this 
sense, our, our senses and, and the reasoning that we have here in the flesh, it's actually leading us away from God's perspective and into death. The Bible says it leads to death. But the life led by the Spirit is peace. It's life and peace. And in this next season, we need to get God's perspective. The way to walk in peace, if you want more peace in your life, the way to walk in peace is to calibrate your mindset to the heavenly realm. Think on things of heaven, not on things of earth. Set your focus there. We talked about Daniel chapter 2 and King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he, he sees this statue and it has all these different metal uh, parts and all the different metal parts represent different kingdoms. And then he sees this stone that's, that comes out of a mountain, not with human hands, that crushes into this giant statue and turns this statue into dust. And we know the story. I told it last week. Daniel interprets this dream. Nobody else can interpret it. But Daniel said, there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, Daniel 2.22. And he knows that God's going to reveal this to him. And he has faith that God's going to reveal this to him. And he tells the king the interpretation. And the interpretation is found in Daniel, or this is the end of the interpretation, Daniel 2.24. He tells him what it means. And he says the, the rock is crushing those kingdoms. And it's becoming a mountain that covers the whole earth. And we know that the rock is Jesus Christ. And, it, and Daniel 2.44, it says, And in those days, and I'm sorry, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. And that leads us to Matthew 21.44, which we talked about last week. Jesus said, And whom, whomever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. So this saying by Jesus is also found in the book of Luke. And in, in Luke, it reads like this. Everyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will crush him. I read it one more time. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will crush him. So and I said this last week, but it's better to fall on the stone than for the stone to fall on you. So in Luke, it says, everyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And I, I just want to expound on this this week. This is kind of where we're going we're to park. This represents the moment that we came to Jesus. I told this story uh, last week, but I was just chewing on this verse. When I first read it, I was like, this is scary. It's like, I'm going gonna, gonna, to I'm gonna fall on Jesus and be broken to pieces, or he's going to fall on me and crush me to dust. This, is, this verse is kind of scary. And so when you encounter verses like this, um, chew on them and ask God for revelation. Believe that God will give you the download from heaven of what, what it really means. And so I prayed about it, and I was just chewing on it. I went to bed one night just saying, okay, everybody who falls in him would be broken to pieces. Everyone who he falls on would be crushed like dust. And I was just chewing on it, chewing on it. I fell asleep and I woke up at three in the morning and the Lord started to speak to me. And he said, you, when you were saved, when you came to me, that's a, you fell on me and broken to pieces. That's the representation of your salvation. And how many know that Jesus is the rock that doesn't move? He's immovable. So when we come to him in humility, we fall on him, we break into pieces, and he recreates us the way he wants us to be. And there's pieces of us that get permanently broken off of us. And there's new pieces that God adds to us. 
So that's what we're going to touch on today. What, what has been permanently removed from us when we came to Christ and what has been added to us? If we don't understand what God has done for us in salvation and we don't walk in the awareness of it, we're missing out on the reality of, of what he's done and who he is in our life. So when we came to Jesus, we were completely recreated. He recreated us in the way that he wants us to be. I love uh, Chris Kildosius. One, one of the things he says is, how do, you know, how do you know if you have a million dollars in the bank? How do you know? You have to check. <laughs> you have to check. So we can live in a way where we don't realize what we have access to. You know, sometimes it's called practical atheism. It's like, I, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but the way I'm living my life is like, I'm not a believer. It's like, it's, I've heard some people call that practical atheism. It's so important to realize who we are in Christ, what we have access to. It's so important to know what got broken off of us when we came to Christ and what did he add to us? Because we want to live out those realities. So part of stepping into this next season of heavenly perspective is knowing and holding on to what Christ has paid for so that we live, here's a key, so that we live in expectation of experiencing it here on earth. If you want to experience some, something new in Jesus, the first thing you need to do is expect it. Let me say it again. If you want to experience something new in Christ, don't wait for it to hit you like a lightning bolt. The first thing that you need to do is expect that you're going to receive it. This is called faith. We're called believers. We live in this faith realm. And one, one thing the Bible talks about, I believe God's fully pleased with us because we're his sons. But the Bible talks about one of the things that pleases God is faith. So we get, I believe we get extra credit when we step out in faith. And God's like, look at that faith. Look at that faith. So this is talking about stepping into faith, living an expectation of experiencing what Jesus has done here on earth. And when you read challenging scriptures that you're like, that sounds too good to be true. Those are the ones you need the most. Those are the ones you need to chew on the most until you begin to believe it, until your brain catches up to what God has said about you. This is part of renewing your mind. So the Bible says that we are royalty and we have full access to the kingdom, but we can be walking around, acting like orphans, not realizing who we are and what we have access to. Chris Vallotton says this, I love it. He says, if you put a prince in charge of a prison, he will turn it into a palace. But if you put an orphan in charge of a palace, he will turn it into a prison. So true. In other words, whatever beliefs that we have on the inside, they're going to manifest on the outside all around us. We impact our environment by what we believe on the inside. Everything starts on what we believe here, and it's going to impact our environment. We see that with Joseph. The way he lived in a prison caused, caused the prison to be more like a palace. But if you get an orphan in a palace, he'll turn that place into a prison. Yeah. In the midst of being sold by his brothers into slavery, God called Joseph a successful man. Did you know that? 
in the midst of being sold, when, when it talks about Joseph in the Bible, right in the midst, when he's sold into slavery, there's like a passage thrown into there and it says, and God called Joseph a successful man. And we see that, you know, Joseph was favored. He knew he was favored. He's the, he's the one that's part of the reason his brothers hated him. He got the special coat. He was favored by his father. His mother was the one that, that uh, Joseph was truly in love with. And he was favored and he knew it. He expected favor because he had the love and he had the favor of his father. So he was successful on the inside. And we see this manifest everywhere he went in his life. He sold into slavery and he, he's promoted. He's like, he goes to like the highest level that he can as a servant. He's, he's put in prison and he's promoted. He's actually in charge of the prison eventually. And everywhere he goes, he's favored because the, what was on the inside, he knew he was loved. He knew he was favored. He knew he was successful. And it manifested in the outside in everything that he did. Amen. Are you guys with me this morning? <laughs> so what we, what we believe about ourselves, this is why this message is so important. What we believe about what Christ has done for us, what we believe about ourselves, it's going to manifest all around us. It is going to come out. When we don't see ourselves the way that God sees us and we don't think like God thinks, we can be bound by a spirit of limitation. And I want to tell you, God wants to break off a spirit of limitation this morning. He wants to break because the limitation has not been put on you by God. The limitation is your own thinking. And God wants to break a spirit of limitation off of you this morning. God doesn't do lack. Some of you need to cement that one on your heart. God doesn't do lack. If you need the scripture for it, it's Psalm 23. It said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack, shall not be in want. I'll give you another one. Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all my needs according to whose riches? His. I'm not relying on my riches. I'm relying on his riches. Amen. God doesn't do lack. He's going to provide for your every need. We can't align our mindset with lack. And like, well, I don't have enough. I, I, I'm, not, I'm never going to get enough. I can't. You know, God doesn't do lack. So we need to step into this place where we believe that, that we're going to have everything that we need when we need it. Ephesians 1.3 says this, Praise be to God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I want to highlight that. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Listen to the passion. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us. I love the passion. <laughs> every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly father, the father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped in Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all of our hearts. Isn't that good? Every spiritual blessing has been lavished upon us. But what do you believe? Do you believe that? Do you believe that you've been blessed already, that God's going to provide for all your needs, that God doesn't do lack? We need to align our thinking and calibrate our hearts to these beliefs. God has already provided for all your needs. It's already been done. He's already gifted you with every spiritual blessing. So Jesus says, everyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will crush him. 
So when we came to him, we were broken into pieces and then he recreates us the way that he wants us to be. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says we're, we are a completely new creation. We've been recreated. So what has he broken off? What got broken off when we came to Christ and, and what did he add to us? So I have three, three things I want to share that are really kind of two points each. So number one, he broke off shame and he added a spirit of full acceptance. God wants to get shame off of you for this next season of your life. So important. So important. God wants to get shame off of you for this next season of your life. Shame is a lie from the enemy. Shame is a lie. God has removed the shame off of you. When you came to Christ, that little piece called shame got broken off. And we have an enemy who's constantly trying to tell us that it's not broken off. But it's broken off. And we've received the spirit of full acceptance. Hebrews 12.2 says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus hates shame. He despises it. And he paid a huge price to get shame off of you. Jesus doesn't want not one person in here walking in shame. He paid a huge price to get it off you. One of the things that my wife and I don't like is when people say, shame on you. Jesus paid a huge price to get the shame off of you, so I don't, I'm not going to try to put shame back on you. <laughs> he paid the price to get it off of you. He wants you to walk free of shame. Brene Brown, uh, this is, is a really great video. <laughs> uh, if you've never seen it, it's called The Power of Vulnerability, and it's about 20 minutes long. I'm laughing because it actually has just full disclosure. She actually has, it has one swear word in it, but that's how much I actually like it is I'm recommending it even with that in place. This, this lady studied shame for seven years, and she just reports on what she discovered. She's like a brilliant researcher, brilliant mind, and she just reports on what she discovered about shame. So this is what she says about shame. Shame is a powerful emotion, and here's the definition of shame as she puts it. It's the fear that we're not good enough. It's the fear that we're not good enough. Do you see how the enemy wants to try to put shame on you. You're not good enough. You're not doing enough. You're not enough. It's the fear that we're not good enough. When something is going wrong around you, shame tells you this is because you're not good enough. It's because you haven't done enough. This is because there's something wrong with you. You're not enough. This is the voice of shame. This is why we really want to get people out of religion and performance because when you're under that, you'll always hear the voice of shame telling you you're not enough. You're not enough. You haven't done enough. If you prayed for an hour, you should have prayed for two. If you read your Bible for an hour, you should have read it for two. It's this never enough, you're not enough voice that's constantly speaking. God doesn't want us to do anything out of shame and religious obligation. Nothing, 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 nothing. There's not one thing that he, he's like, well, maybe just that thing they should do out of guilt and shame. Maybe they should just tie that of guilt. 
might have guilt him into doing that, but everything else, you know, I want him to do it out of a love response. No, everything God wants you to do, everything that he's asked us to do, he wants us to do it out of a love response to him. I've said it before, but how many people want your children to love you out of a guilt response? (laughs) Well, if I guilt them enough, maybe they'll spend time with me. Yeah. No, we want them to just want to be with us, right? We want them to want to be with us because they know how loved they are. They know that we, how we see them is just full of love. So shame is not your friend. And there's a difference between like, I don't, I don't have this in my notes, but I feel like I'm supposed to go there. It's different between like um, shame and um, like guilt. Like shame will always tell you like, yeah, you did this and you are that. Like you, you did that. You looked at that thing. You... Talk to that person that way because you are that. You're a rude person. You're a pervert. You're this. You're that. It'll always try to attach identity to what you've done and say, you're bad. You're not enough. But the Holy Spirit actually convicts us of righteousness. And the righteousness sounds like, hey, you're far too amazing to be doing that. Like, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. This is who you are. And that is going to lead to death and pain. And God's called you to live in the kingdom where there's life and peace. Okay, so Brene Brown did seven years of research on shame. She interviewed thousands of people. And here's what she concluded. This is a really interesting conclusion. This was like, she's like seven years and here's what I came to after all these interviews. Here's what I came to. She, she divided up everybody she interviewed into two groups. Um, one group where she called the wholehearted, who lived like, like free and, and joyful and had happiness in their life, and, she, and everybody else, people who didn't. So this is what she came to. Those who lived with a sense of love and belonging believed that they were worthy of love and belonging. That's it. That's the only difference between the two groups. She's like, this group who lived wholehearted, who lived with a sense of loving, belonging, the only difference between them and everybody, the people that didn't live with that sense is that they believed that they were worthy of it. You imagine how profound you study for seven years and you're like, this is the key, I found it. After seven years of research, they actually just believe that they're worthy of love and belonging. Shame will always tell you you're not enough and therefore you're not worthy of love and belonging. Something's wrong with you. You're not worthy of love and belonging. You're not enough. Romans 8.15, I love this in the Passion Translation. It says, you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. That's some serious duty. You've not received the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. When we have the spirit of religious duty, it's like this shame response to God. It's like if we don't, if we don't do something that we feel like we did and then we feel guilty about it, it's like then now our motivation to do it, whatever it is, is out of shame. And we're totally off the tracks because God doesn't want us to do anything in response to shame. 
And sometimes we even like, well, I'm going to do this because I don't feel bad when I, if I do it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, we've all been there, but I'm going to tell you, you're off the tracks. And God wants you to get back on the track of like just experiencing his love, his goodness. Nothing we do is out of shame. It's a love response to him. says, you, you've not received the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough, but you've received a spirit of full acceptance and folding you into the family of God, and you'll never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. So good. So shame got broken off of you. Shame's been dealt with. It's been dealt with. It was dealt with on the cross. And what got added to you, and that shame got broken off of you, what got added to you is this spirit of full acceptance, the spirit of adoption got added to you, where the, where the Holy Spirit's speaking over you, you're a son, constantly. The voice of the enemy is like, you should be ashamed of yourself. The voice of the Holy Spirit is, you're a son. You're righteous. You're amazing. In your worst moment, you're a son. You're righteous. You're awesome. Yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. You're too good for that because you're righteous. But shame will be telling you, you're bad. You're this, you're that accusation, attaching it to your identity. You've received the spirit of full acceptance and you don't ever have to try to be accepted. You don't ever have to try to be good enough again. I believe God is breaking shame off of people today. We need to go into this next season without the shame. Because shame will tell you you're not qualified to do what God's called you to do. You haven't done enough. You're not enough. So if we have the shame thing, we won't be able to do what God's called us to do in the next season. We need to face shame down. And we need it, we need it out of our lives completely in every area. You're fully accepted. You're fully loved, and you can't get out of it. You can't get out of it. Romans 6 says that you're a slave to righteousness. You're a slave to righteousness. You're fully accepted in Christ. You're in right standing. You can't get out of it. You're fully loved, and you can't get out of it. You're a slave to righteousness. So he broke off shame. And he added the spirit of adoption, the spirit of, of sonship, this uh, spirit of full acceptance. Second thing, he broke off the orphan spirit. He broke off the orphan spirit and he added the spirit of sonship. The orphan spirit goes hand in hand with shame. They, they like to work together. Shame says you're not enough. And the orphan spirit says you'll never have enough and you'll always have to fight for everything you get. Work, fight. Only way you're going to get ahead is to fight, to cheat, to, to do what you got to do, manipulate. This is the orphan spirit. But he's added the spirit of sonship to us. The spirit of adoption is declaring this over you. You'll always have more than enough. You'll always have an abundance for every good work because you're a son. You're, you have access to the fullness of God. You have access to the kingdom. 
In Mark 1.11, Jesus gets baptized, and as he comes out of the water, God says to him, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I was reading this a few years ago, and the Lord spoke to me, and he says, Daniel, you need to have that moment with me. You need to have that moment with me where you hear me say to you, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. If that's offensive to you, then you need to read Romans 6, 7, and 8 over and over and over until it catches up to you, until your brain gets it. We've been co-crucified with Christ. We were co-buried with Christ. We were co-raised with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. And we all need to have that moment where we hear Jesus speak over us. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. He's pleased with you. That's your default. He's pleased with you because you're in Christ. And it has nothing to do with what you've done or what you haven't done. We all need to have that moment with the Father. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Do you know that God is not withholding anything from you? Do you know that's what that verse says? It says, do you realize, Paul's saying, do you realize what's happened here? God's most precious possession, his own son, Jesus Christ, he gave him over for you. So if he did that, How would he withhold anything from you? He's already given you his best gift. So how will he not now graciously with Christ give you all things? He's not withholding anything from you. That's a good word. God's not withholding from you, certainly not his love. That was just that presence I felt this morning. I was like, it's just this presence of like, you're safe in his love. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to have shame. You don't have to fear things. You don't have to worry. It's like, we're safe in his love. When you encounter his love, you you stop worrying about so many things. I remember I had a love encounter with the Lord uh, years ago where, uh, how he loves that song. I was listening to that song as I was driving somewhere in this first time this ever happened to me in my life, the presence of love came into the car. It's like I'd experienced God's peace in other ways, but I'd never experienced his presence of love. And, and the one thing I remember from that encounter, his presence of love came in and I just began to weep and weep and weep. But the one thing I remember from that encounter is that I w- in that moment, I was thinking, man, everything I worry about is nothing because I just felt so safe in his love. And that was the same like spirit that was here this morning. I was like, wow, I just feel like I'm a little, I'm just going to be honest, I'm a little sad. <laughs> I'm a little sad. I was just had a lump in my throat all day yesterday because my little baby girl is, is going off to college. And, but I just felt it was, I just so enjoyed worship this morning because I just felt that sweet presence of love where the father's just like, everything's okay. You're safe in my love. Like I've got to you. It's all going to be okay. We all need to have that moment with the Father where we, he, we hear him speak over us. You are my beloved son. I had a moment, and I've shared this story before, but I'm just going to share just a, a short version of this story. 
But I had a moment about 2015, in the summer of 2015, where I had kind of hit a wall. And I just uh, was just really, uh, because of some situations in my life, I hit like a low point. And it was at that really low point in my life where I started having encounters with the Father. And this was like not expected, but I just started having these encounters with the Father. And it was God, like, he, he started telling me, before I had these encounters, I heard the Lord speak to me, and he goes, you don't know who you are. And here I'm, a, I was preaching, we were, you know, it, I don't think we were in this building yet, but I'm a pastor, I'm like, God, what do you mean God? Like, I had the scriptures ready for, you ever, you ever like argue with God through scripture? I'm like, wait, I know who I am, I'm a righteous son of the most high God, and God's like, no, you don't know who you are. And over this next month, God started to speak sonship over me in a way that became real to me. And I had an encounter with, with the father where he just held me and he just said, I'm your dad. And it was that moment for me where he's just speaking over me. He's like, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That scripture is not just there to show us how awesome Jesus is. That scripture, everything about Jesus, we have access to. Everything about Jesus is true also about you because you're in Christ. You might think, well, that's thinking of ourselves too highly. No, that's actually estimating yourself correctly for the first time, maybe. So we all need to have that moment with the Father, and it changes everything. I just believe that God is imparting a spirit of sonship today. The orphan spirit got broken off of you, and the spirit of sonship has been added to you. I have one more thing. The old man, last thing, the old man has been broken off of you. And God's righteousness has been added to you. There was a piece of you when you came to Christ called the old man, and it broke off of you forever. And there's a new piece that God put on you that says, here, I'm going to attach my righteousness to you permanently. How many know that you're not a sinner saved by grace? Yeah, two, three. <laughs> you're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner saved by grace. You know, in the New Testament, the Bible never calls someone who is saved a sinner. Not once. Every time that the word sinner is used in the New Testament, it refers to someone who has not met Christ yet. The Bible calls believers in the New Testament calls you three things. It calls you saint, it calls you son, and it calls you righteous. This is your identity, saint, son, righteous. If you believe you're a sinner, you'll sin by faith. Right? Well, that's what I am. That's what I'm going to do. Again, what you believe on the inside is going to be manifest on the outside. That's why, you know, I'm, I'm sure at some point in my life I said that I'm a sinner saved by grace, but it's actually not true. You're a saint. You were a sinner saved by grace. Now you're a saint. Now you're a son. Now you're righteous. Sinner was broken off of you. That's another piece that got broken off. That's not reattached to you. It permanently got broken off. This is about taking on heavenly perspective. You need to see yourself the way God sees you. You can't afford to not see yourself like he sees you. He doesn't see you as a sinner. He sees you as righteous. Does that mean we can't sin? 
No, of course, we know we can. <laughs> we can all go blow up our life with sin. Sin is destructive. We can do that. But what it means is you have a new nature. Your old nature before you came to Christ, man, this was certainly true for me before I rededicated my life. Your old nature had a propensity towards sin. Your new nature has a propensity towards righteousness. So when you sin, you're rebelling against your nature. I experienced this. I remember when I, when I, I, I was like the prodigal son in a lot of ways. That when, you know, the thing that hit me one day when I was reading the prodigal son story is that when he came home, he probably had a lot of junk to deal with. He didn't just come back and he's like, oh, I'm powerful, new man. He probably had a tons of, ton of stuff to work through. And even that testifies to us, like, come as you are. God will God, God'll take you just as you are, and he will do the work in your life. And I think I was like that in a lot of ways. When I came to the Lord, when I, re, when I surrendered my life at 26, I had a lot of stuff to work through. But the big difference I noticed right away is I couldn't, like, enjoy sin anymore. Like, it was torment. And I was like, what? What is happening? Like, this, I didn't even think of the things we do before Christ. We don't even maybe think of them as sin. But then once we've been recreated in Christ, it was tormenting. Because I was rebelling against my nature. Because you have a new nature that has a propensity towards righteousness. Your old nature had a propensity towards sin. But your new nature has a propensity towards righteousness. When, when you sin, you're rebelling against your nature. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Sin and the old man were crucified with Christ on the cross and have been broken off of you permanently. By the way, the enemy will always try to convince you that the old man is still alive. That's not true. It's a lie. It's been dealt with. Shame's been broken off of you. Sinner's been broken off with you. That old man's dead. <coughs> Whatever you were before Christ, that's not who you are anymore. That's been broken off of you permanently. Colossians 3.3 says this, For you have died, and your life is now hidden in Christ and God. Let me say it again. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Look at your neighbor and said, say, you're dead. You have died, and your life is now, your new life, it's hidden in Christ with God. I can't remember the story, but I can't remember where this came from, but there, it was some, like, evangelist, and he was, like, doing street preaching, and this guy threatened his life, and he, it was the Holy Spirit. He just said, you can't kill me. I'm already dead. The old man has been put to death and was broken off of you. Okay, this is a scripture that was a game changer for me and it changed my life. And I know Angela has a great story about this scripture too. You can ask Angela about it. 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's he who, knew, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Who knew no sin? Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. So I knew years ago when I read this scripture, I just, I just was reading and I was like, I, I don't really believe that. 
I don't really believe that I'm right. I don't feel righteous. How many know that your, your emotions and your feelings are not the ultimate test of something's true or not? Now, we get our truth from what God says about us, not from our emotions. And I just declared that over myself. I, I just realized I don't believe this and I need to believe it. This is, this is important for me. So I started to declare it over and over and over and over and over again, like day after day after day, week after week, I was just declaring it sometimes a hundred times a day. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I would say the whole scripture. And one day it just dropped into my spirit and it became a reality. I remember the moment where I was like, whoa, that's true. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is really true. I really am the righteousness of God. And so we want to think of ourselves the way God thinks of us. We want to see what's true about us. This was one of the most important truths that I needed in my life. And it's one of the most important truths for your life. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. Unrighteousness broke off of you. Sinner broke off of you. Shame broke off of you. And sonship has been attached to you. Righteousness has been attached to you. Would you stand this morning?